0: are continuing in our series called Restoration in the Church. So if you have a Bible or you use a Bible app, go ahead and turn with me to Acts 1 verse 4, uh, the very beginning of the book of Acts. We are nearing the end of our series that we've called Restoration in the Church in which we have been contemplating what it looks like to be a healthy, uh, vibrant, biblical community in the midst of spiritual and cultural decline across the Western world. We pick up today in Acts 1 verse 4, and for context, leading up to this passage, Jesus has been put to death on a Roman cross. Uh, Because we have the inside of Scripture, we know he was dying for the sins of the world. Uh, And then after laying in a tomb for several days, he was resurrected uh, by the Father, brought back from the dead. The tomb is empty. He's appeared before the disciples in his resurrected body. And then we read this. This is the very end of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. This is Acts 1 verse 4. It says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, post-resurrection, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Let's pray. Jesus, we... um, as, as Coulter was saying a moment ago, as we often sing, as we gather together, we are surrendered to you. Uh, you have given your life for us when we were your enemies and didn't know you, and now in joyful response, we give our lives for you, knowing that there's nothing we can give up in this life. There is nothing we can sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom that you will not reward us for in full. When you come again at the end of the age, there's no such thing as giving too much for you. Uh, Anything we could give you is temporary and anything you would reward us with is eternal. So would you uh, kind of loosen us, Lord, Uh, loosen the grip that we have on the things of this world? Would you shake us a bit out of our uh, apathy and our comfort? Would you uh, free us up, Lord, to do the things that will uh, bring us most to life? So often we pursue something that is so, um, so safe and mundane and insulated that we receive no life from it. It actually becomes a very boring existence and you have something much better in mind for each one of us. Something much uh, riskier, something much more wild, something much more rewarding in every sense of the word. Uh, would we lay aside perhaps our vision for our life to grab hold of the radical fullness of what you would have for us. Uh, we, we profess, proclaim, admit this morning uh, that your way is better than our way. It's actually better for us in the here and now and far, far better for us in eternity if we live uh, to the way that you're, you're inviting us, calling us, beckoning us to live. Would you whisper to each one this morning about what that looks like? In Jesus' name, Amen. Every human being, by nature of being human, has to ask and wrestle with certain uh, elemental sort of primal questions about life. Uh, Where did I come from? Uh, How did I come to exist? Uh, Where am I going? What happens after I die? What is the purpose of my life? in the here and now. Every human being on some level, either consciously or unconsciously, thank you, Nick, uh, has to uh, wrestle with those questions. Now, as followers of Jesus, we uh, can find ourselves in the biblical story. The biblical story frames and answers life's biggest, most important questions. We were created by God uh, in his image, and because of Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection, uh, we can now return to God, not just in the here and now for a better life today, but more significantly for all eternity. We can be with God in his fullness in the kingdom. So we have uh, stunning answers to some of life's Greatest, most elemental questions. We know where we came from. We know who we are. We know where we are headed. But that still leaves a significant question that we have to wrestle with as followers of Jesus, which is what is the purpose of my life? Even if I understand within the biblical frame where I came from and where I am going, hallelujah. Many of us still wrestle with this question. Well, what do I do between now and then? What do I do today and tomorrow and all the days until I'm resurrected from the dead? What is the purpose of my life? Uh, And honestly, from a biblical perspective, there are many ways we could describe the point of our lives uh, in, in the here and now. We are to follow Jesus, apprentice under him. Uh, become more like Jesus over time. And that will show up in our families, in our workplace, in, in the way that we love, and the things that we love. It will begin to transform all of life as we become more like him. Uh, but I would argue that another equally valid description of our, of our new identity and calling in Jesus is found right here in Acts 1 verse 8. It says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are to become more like Jesus over time, but in doing so, we are to glorify him, to to make him known in our families and in, in workplaces and in the nations. Uh, we are chasing after him um, and becoming more like him, but along the way with our lives, we're sort of making, declaring this royal announcement about Jesus to be true. And Jesus says, you're, you're to carry that, you're to take that announcement uh, to the very ends of the earth, So we are to be conduits of God's love, of God's kingdom, of God's truth and presence uh, into every pocket of every neighborhood, of every society on earth. There should be people following after Jesus and and making his, his truth known, making his presence felt. In fact, Jesus says, the gospel must be preached to all people and then the end will come. Just a significant statement. He's saying this is, this is the mark. It's not a side project. This is the mark of our age. We are to live for Jesus, glorify him, and spread the good news about him everywhere. Before he ascends... He says, you will be my witnesses across the entire earth. And then there's this significant moment, which we honestly don't talk about a a ton uh, in in the American church, which is the ascension, a very significant moment. Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. He he disappears from view, and they're all kind of left. They just hang out there staring into the clouds. And after some time has passed, and they're still there staring an angel appears in the verses we didn't read this morning, if you had kept reading that passage, and the angel essentially says, okay, it's time to get after it. Like you heard what he just said, you're, you're to be his disciples, disciple others, to be his witnesses out to the very ends of the earth. This is your calling, this is your task. And, and oh, is that me? I might be tripping to something. Uh, and, and now you're to go and get after that task. You you can go and be about the Father's business. You know what to do. He says, you'll see him. He'll come back one day in the same way that you've seen him leave. Between now and then, you know what to do. You you know what you're to be about. And and then eventually that happens. The the disciples receive the Holy Spirit within a few weeks. It's poured out on the church and they're ignited in in mission and, and the gospel begins spreading out Across the world, this royal announcement uh, is, is being made. And so this is it's very central to our calling as followers of Jesus, that we participate in this mission, that we are witnesses uh, to the kingdom of God in every nation and neighborhood on earth. Uh, and this happens in all sorts of contexts, and it's gonna look a little bit different for everyone. But when I think about, you know, the life of Rivers Edge Church and all the witnessing that will happen through anyone in our community, I would say about 90% of all witnessing that will happen through any of us is through one-on-one conversations with people that we already know. This is our friends, our family members, our acquaintances, uh, people that we are in relationship with, but who don't yet know Jesus. Uh, We're very quick to hear these words of witnessing or evangelism and think, oh, that's something that, you know, happens on the street corner with a bullhorn. Uh, Or it's something that happens overseas. Oh, if I want to, you know, live on mission, I should, you know, sell everything and go live in Ethiopia or whatever. Uh, That's actually not the case. Most of the vast, vast majority uh, of the witnessing that will happen through the life of our church... It uh, will happen in one-on-one or small group settings uh, with people whose names you already know. Now, if you don't know anyone who is not following Jesus, that actually becomes a problem when it comes to the mission of God. Uh, and so the simple suggestion would be, we get out and, and meet people who don't know Jesus. Uh, and there are a thousand ways to do that and most of them are really fun, but we should be in relationship, we should know the names of people who are not currently following after him. So that's the, the, the main way I see witness happening through our community. Uh, the second most common way that witness will manifest itself in our community is through small group gatherings, through what we would call missional communities, uh, in, in living rooms on a Wednesday night or a Tuesday morning or whenever it is uh, that your small group gathers together, and even on a Sunday gathering. Uh, this These are uh, touch points. They're places where we don't simply gather as the people of God, but we actually get to invite other people in who are not yet uh, in a personal relationship with Jesus, and they get to come along, and the scriptures are, are chock full of examples of, uh, it's just it's just knit into the biblical story that people will come to Jesus as they see the people of God being the people of God. And, and that's hard to do in a one-on-one setting. So as we invite people to uh, gather with us here on a Sunday morning, as we invite people to uh, come you know, with a, meet with a few people on a Wednesday night in our living room, they get to, to see, taste, experience something uh, of, of God uh, that can bring them into a place of Encounter, uh, And so one of the ways that we think about uh, the mission of God, part of that mission of God is raising up leaders like yourselves who can uh, lead or start new small groups and who can lead or start new churches because that becomes these places of, of encounter. And so we're very serious within our community about raising people up into joyful maturity in Jesus and and being in a place where you say, no, I can start or lead a small group, or I can even start or lead a church in in a new uh, neighborhood. That's central to God's vision and God's mission. And finally, a much smaller percentage, say 5%, of the witnessing that will happen through our community, Uh, will happen through uh, new church plants, um, into new cities outside of the Spokane region, and even into other nations that we aren't currently working in today. Uh, There are thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people right here in our city who are not in a personal relationship with Jesus. So there's this sort of massive uh, mission field right here around us, Uh, and within our nation, there are millions upon millions of people who don't know Jesus, and within our world, there are billions of people who do not yet know him. Uh, And and so we have to have within our vision of, of healthy, vibrant church, this vision of raising up and sending people out into new neighborhoods and into new cities and into new nations where the gospel isn't currently being proclaimed. Uh, globally speaking, about 40% of the world's population is currently living in, quote, unreached people groups, which means they have essentially zero exposure to the gospel. That's over 3 billion people on our planet who have essentially zero exposure. You think of, like, millions of people Of unsaved people in America, but there's a lot of exposure there along the way. This is people who have like nothing, like there's no, there's nobody there to provide any exposure to the gospel. So the the mission of God and the task before his church is enormous. Massive potential for everyone to be involved in this, Uh, which leads to the next question, which is, okay, if we see if we have a glimpse of how this witnessing thing might play out uh, here and abroad, how are we supposed to do this? Like if you say, Oh, I get it. I see this tiny glimpse of, of the mission of God. I want to be a part of that. the next question is how, how would you go about doing that? And Jesus is very clear uh, that it involves the Holy spirit. In fact, the Holy spirit is so central to our witness in our participation in the mission of God, that Jesus literally tells his disciples to wait until they have the Holy Spirit. Like massive, massive mission that God has to rescue and redeem the world. And the disciples know Jesus. They understand at this point why he was crucified. They've seen him resurrected. He's like, you're not ready. What does a witness do? They speak about what they know. They speak about what they've experienced. On paper, the disciples look fully qualified, and he says, don't start yet. You you might do more harm than good. Just wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, from that point forward, the church is going to be empowered uh, to witness in, in a very unique way. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and and you can kind of feel the weight of how uh, important that is. Wait for this to happen, then you go to every nation on earth. Uh, over the last nine weeks, since we started the series, we've been talking about healthy church. And I hope through the last nine weeks it's become clear how vital the Holy Spirit is to having a healthy, uh, resilient biblical church. Like we have to have the Holy Spirit to do that. Uh, but the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is equally important to the mission of God, to what happens outside of the walls of the church. Uh, in, In fact, I'm a very visual person, so I would picture it this way. I would say that the Holy Spirit is vital to healthy church. We've been talking about that and is vital to the mission of God or us being witnesses in the world. And sometimes we miss this too, healthy church and witnessing feed off of one another as well. They're supposed to work in tandem. They're each supposed to sort of fuel the other. And so there's a reason that we delayed talking about mission until uh, what's basically the end of the series. Because there's a sense in which you need to get things right at home uh, before you can really raise people up and send people out in an effective way. If we have unhealthy churches and withering churches, uh, they aren't going to send people out, or if they do, uh, they, it, it won't go very well. Oh, I'm getting a phone call, apparently. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, if they do send people out, it won't go very well. If you have sort of this withering, dying thing, and you're like, hey, just kind of like limp out there and just do your best, um, typically it's not very effective. Whether they're going to neighborhoods or new cities or new nations or whatever it might be. Uh, but the reverse is also true. If you have healthy, vibrant churches that are full of the Spirit, that are listening to the Spirit of God, God's going to raise up people and, and direct us to go out for the sake of the lost into neighborhoods and, and nations and all the rest. Uh, Terry Virgo talks about a time in which he was uh, primarily not seeing himself as sort of an apostolic figure or a pastor, but he was an evangelist. Uh, That is what um, fueled him, what was sort of gripped his life. Uh, And he was zealous for evangelism and the lost. And eventually he became a pastor, but he was even more passionate about evangelism. And so he directed his church to start special gatherings uh, throughout the week that were specifically uh, to invite people in who didn't know Jesus. And they were uh, out in the community. They were literally on the streets. They were going door to door. They were in the pubs just sort of fearlessly proclaiming the gospel, getting hold of anyone they could and telling them about the gospel of Jesus. And I forget exactly how long it was. After you know, a year or two of just intense sort of witnessing and mission, the result was that almost no one had been added into the local church or any local church. Um, and, and, and so they said, well, wait a second. What, what are we doing? Like, this isn't effective. This isn't actually, like, bringing people into a personal relationship. It's not sticking. Something's not working. And so they sought God again, and through seeking the Lord, they, they sensed the Lord saying, quote, mend the nets. Mend the nets. Meaning, like, you, you, you have to have a healthy church at home. You have to be sort of, when you're firing on, on all cylinders at home, it's a lot more natural for people to be sort of knit into that. Build healthy church first and evangelism will follow. Out of healthy church. Uh, If you've got, to use that analogy, if you've got a net full of holes, then you can try and go out and catch as much as you want and it's gonna drain back out into the culture if things aren't right at home. Uh, and this is, what, this is what he said as he was contemplating that. He says, as an evangelist, I saw that evangelism or sharing your faith with others was not the biggest problem of the church. That's what I think. Like, oh, this is maybe one of our biggest problems. He says, no, no, no. Actually, it's the other way around. It's that the church in that moment was the biggest hindrance to evangelism. So, so as we think about all the things we've been thinking about over the last nine weeks it goes hand in hand with evangelism. We can't purely focus on one, we can't purely focus on the other. In fact, God will not allow you to purely focus on any one of those things. If you're like, man, I am a spirit person, all I care about within the context of my faith is the Holy Spirit. That's all I care about, I just wanna seek the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, I'm crazy about the Holy Spirit. Well, what's the Holy Spirit gonna direct you to do? He's gonna um, release gifts in you for the building up of the church, creating healthy church, building up others around you, and the Holy Spirit is going to lead you out for the sake of the lost. And it's true with the other pieces as well. If you say, all I care about, I don't even care about the Holy Spirit, all I care about is healthy church. Well, it's going to drive us to seek more of the Spirit, and it should drive us out for the sake of the lost. If all you care about, the only thing I care about is evangelism. All I care about is seeking and saving lost people, seeing them come into a saving faith with Jesus. Well, you have to do that with the Spirit, and you therefore have to also care about having a healthy church. Vibrant communities of Jesus are the means and the ends of evangelism. You can't divorce them. All of these things are connected together. If things aren't healthy at home, then reaching the lost culture around us or lost nations across the ocean is, is going to be really, really difficult. Like If things aren't functioning well here, it's really hard to have people flourishing and raised up and sent out for those purposes. Uh, but the reverse is also true. If we're, if we're, just, if we're seeking the Spirit and we're... Um, Build, thinking about healthy, vibrant, biblical church, then, then evangelism, witnessing, is going to be a part of that. It's, it becomes a, an outgrowth of healthy church, a natural result of seeking the spirit of God. Uh, Jesus says, this is a tiny sliver of the statements he makes, but he says things like, I didn't come for the healthy, meaning I didn't come just to camp out with a bunch of vibrant people, in a church gathering. I, I, came for the, I came for the sick. I came for the lost. And, and I would leave the 99 to go out and get the one who's lost. And you, and you think about statements like that and then think, okay, I'm inviting the spirit of Jesus to reside in me and direct me. Well, where is he going to direct us? Of course, to build up the church. There's tons about that in scripture. But also, he's saying, hey, this is, this is where I'm headed. And if you wanna follow me and you're full of my spirit, where's my spirit gonna direct you? Or into some of those places. You get his presence and power within you, and he's gonna uh, lead us out for the mission of God. He says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. That's an entire sermon right there. Just think about that. How did Jesus send the Father? from a place of privilege and comfort, and he is full of the Spirit for the sake of the lost. The Father sent the Son. And then he says, hey, I'm going to do the same thing with you. Same relationship, full of the Spirit for the sake of the lost. I'm now sending you. Where do we find uh, the strength and courage for mission? If you just sort of step back and think, a 10,000 foot view. How, how does the church get activated in mission? It's not out of religious guilt. It's not out of, uh, well, I ought to. Sort of this dead work of, I ought to. I really should. That's just what Christians do. The people around me in church seem to be doing that. So I guess I should force that to happen too. No. The scriptures say you've actually been freed up from all of that in the radical grace of God, you're not under the law. There's no quota. There's no, like you're you're free. We are free in Jesus from any of that sort of external stuff that could be laid on us. But the power and courage and the that the drive, the impetus for mission, comes from the Holy Spirit. We're seeking God. God, I want to be full of Your Spirit. I want more of You. I want to be like You, and and as the person of Jesus and and uh, dwells within and transform you. That's one of the things that he's he will lead each and every one of us to do. Many of us are really good, myself included. Many of us are really good at talking about Jesus with people who already know Jesus, but it's really difficult to talk about Jesus with people who don't know him or who might be resistant to the gospel. Okay, so how do I overcome that fear? Where do I find that the power and courage and strength to do what God's calling me to do? Through the Holy Spirit. Wait, wait, don't just wait here. By the way, we don't have to wait, we already have the Holy Spirit. But in that moment, you see the significance of our our need for Him. We we need our fear of others to be overcome by the power of the Spirit. Otherwise, we just won't witness. We could be called to the stand. We'll say, I, I plead the fifth. I don't, I don't have anything to share. I don't have anything to say. We need the Holy Spirit to, to encourage us, to strengthen us toward that end. And we need the Spirit's direction as well. So first we need uh, the Spirit's strength and courage to overcome our own fears in the face of cultural resistance. Following Jesus, in case you haven't noticed, is becoming less and less popular in our country. It will not be any easier next year than it was last year or it is this year. It's going to get more difficult. Just here to encourage you with that this morning. <laughs> that also means that our need to be with God and do things in his way is increasing. We, we need the Spirit's help. There's no shame in that. The original disciples couldn't do it without the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. But it's in the context of there's real people and real witnessing, and this is scary. God, I need your peace. I need your strength. I need to be okay with rejection because I'm not okay with that right now. Holy Spirit, would you strengthen me in this? So we need the the, uh, strengthening and courage from the Spirit. We also need the Spirit's direction as well. Uh, It's not just, hey, God, fill me with your courage, and then I'll just kind of inadvertently just whatever, kind of witness wherever I think I should. Uh, We also need the Spirit's direction. One of my favorite little verses in the entire book of Acts is Acts 13, verse 2. It's really easy to miss, but it says this. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord, this is in one of the early church gatherings, probably about this many people in the room. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I love this image that all they're doing is worshiping the Lord. What do we do? We gather together. We worship the Lord. Some or all of them are fasting, but, but there's no, it doesn't say, say that there's any questions they're asking. There's no agenda. They're like, we're just seeking the Lord for his own sake, to worship him, to be with him. We're fasting. We're waiting on the Lord and, and we're open to prophetic words from the spirit and, and then God speaks. And, and begins directing. How do I know? Even if I'm full of the courage and power of the Spirit, how do I know whether I'm called to West Central or Gary Middle School or the South Hill or Bangladesh? How, do, how would I know that? We're, we're seeking the Lord. We're open to the stuff that the Spirit does, and then he directs us as we go. He says, you seek after me. I'm, I'm going to direct you in the way that you should go. It'll be different for each one. Doing this, being open to the leading of the spirit and being directed by him, this is how my wife and I met and started dating and eventually got married. Uh, This is how the two of us uh, with our one child at the time decided to give up everything that we knew in Portland, Oregon, friends, family, network, security, JAW, everything, and moved to Spokane, Washington where at the time we agreed to do that, we did not know a single soul in the city. But it's this, saying, Lord, we're seeking after you, and, and we know this is what you're asking us to do. So we're going to go. And now we know lots of people here, and we never want to go back. Um, I personally, I think I can speak for both of us, I, I kind of hope that we die here, Uh, and just get to live the rest of our lives in Spokane. But we don't get to decide that. Our lives are not our own. We we are surrendered in such a way that if God says, give up the home that you love and, and the close friendships that you have here and the role that you play at the church and move to Indonesia, and we know that it's God, we're going to go. We will do that. That, that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We're seeking you, we're fasting. We don't have any inkling that that's the case, but if that comes, we will go. There, there's an enormous task of the mission of God right here in our city. In our, by the way, uh, this, this city and this nation uh, are quickly becoming one of the most important mission fields on earth millions of people are leaving the faith every year. Uh, I, and, and while faith around the world in Jesus is exploding at an unprecedented rate, just as an encouragement, um, there have never been more followers of Jesus in the world than there are today. And, and the uh, discipleship movement that is following Jesus has never grown as quickly as it has. Um, Over these last few decades, we're living in a really beautiful time in human history where on the mission of God, global scale, the gospel is exploding around the world. But ironically, it is not doing that in the United States or Western Europe or Australia, what we would call the Western world. It's doing the opposite. It's waning. They will be sending missionaries to us. There will be missionaries coming here from the places that we think of as uh, from West Africa, from Rural China, they, they will eventually send people here to tell a bunch of people who don't know the gospel about Jesus. So, so don't downplay the city that God has placed us in or the nation that God has placed us in. It's a difficult place to follow Jesus. It's becoming more difficult, but it is vitally important to follow him and live on the mission of God in this place. You do not have to go overseas unless he calls you and then you should go. but you're, you're part of this global mission of God. Whether you're here or you're somewhere else, you are part of this mission. He's, the scriptures say you've been chosen in him to bear fruit for the mission of God, to build up the church that is his body, to become more like him over time, to join him in what he's doing, and seeking and saving the lost. Uh, and, and we should have some sense of, of faith and expectation surrounding that mission. It's not just, oh, I guess I should do this, but it probably won't really work. No, he says you've been chosen to bear fruit. And these are some of the things, again, very small sample of what is said in scripture about Jesus and his kingdom. It says God has promised his son, the nations as his inheritance, and the ends of the earth as his possession. Scripture says of the increase of his government There will be no end. That's not something that the church promised to God. God, we promised to try and do this for you. This is our hope. No, 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 no. That's what God promised to the church. He says, he will bring, Isaiah says, he will bring justice to the nations. That's part of his kingdom. And he will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. The whole earth. He's giving it to his son through the avenue of church and Holy Spirit. There should be a certain sense of courage and boldness and expectation surrounding the mission of God. We're not looking at like isolated little stabs into Satan's kingdom. Oh, a little bit here, a little bit there, sort of this random poking. No, no, no. What's pictured in Scripture is an overturning of the entire empire as the kingdom of God spreads across the earth. What's pictured in Scripture is is Jesus taking a bunch of weak, and vulnerable and often confused people who the culture doesn't think much of and he fills them with the spirit and he empowers them to go out and extend his kingdom in the earth. We can take such a defeatist attitude sometimes but Jesus says, essentially, yes, life will be hard. That's a given. Again, I'm here to encourage you. Your life will be hard. But, take heart. I've I've overcome the world. I am bigger than the difficulty that you're up against. And I'm I'm slowly making my enemies a footstool under my feet, Jesus says. Of the advance of my kingdom and government, there will be no end. We should be moving forward in the midst of a dying church, in the midst of a, a confused, and I would say dying Western culture. We should be moving forward with a sense of hope, with a sense of expectation. That, that Jesus will continue to expand his kingdom. And that there are thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions in our nation, billions around the world, that he wants to call into covenant relationship with him. The gospel must be preached to all people, Jesus says, in all nations, and then the end will come. It must be preached in West Central, and in the valley, and in the South Hill, and in Western China, and and to thousands upon thousands of people groups who have never heard his name. And then the end will come. Restoration churches join God in his mission. We see ourselves as part of this narrative, as part of this storyline on mission with God to seek and save the lost, sent out, raised up, released and sent out into neighborhoods and nations for his name, for his glory. From flourishing communities of Jesus, we can and should join God in his mission to the nations. And we can do so with a sense of radical hope about what the future holds.